0: welcome to the creekwood church podcast we want you to know that creekwood church is open and you're invited to join us in person or online this weekend more information about services and in-person safety precautions is available at creekwoodchurch.com we hope this message inspires and encourages your faith enjoy let's go ahead and go to the lord in prayer and then we'll get into our message Lord God, we just come before you this morning, and uh, Lord, I just ask right now that you would begin to work in the hearts of the people that are sitting in this room. God, every distraction, for those that were in an argument this morning with their spouse, and they just, they don't even know why they came in, and they feel like a phony and a fraud, I've been there. And that's why we come in here. God, for those that are, that are just tired, Lord, would you minister to them today? God, for those of us that are just doing pretty good, God, would you stir our hearts to share that love with others? God, we ask for you to be high and lifted up in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is Palm Sunday. On this day 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey fulfilling a prophecy of the prophet Zechariah. The crowds welcomed him with shouts of Hosanna, waving palm branches and quoting from Psalms 118. We see that this is the first day of the last, week of Jesus's earthly ministry. This is the week we call Passion Week, the most important week in human history. It's funny because the word passion is a Greek verb that actually means to suffer because we know the great suffering that Pastor Brad told us about that took place. See, the prophet Zechariah tells us what Jesus would be writing. Psalms 118 tells us what the crowd was shouting, but it's Exodus 12 that tells us where Jesus was going to the temple. For God's instructions, every family was to select a lamb without blemish that was to be slaughtered on the 14th day of the Jewish calendar. So on this week, God chose Jesus to be the lamb. And as the apostle John proclaimed in John chapter one, verse 26, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so what's happening on this day in this moment, the context of what we're about to read in our passage today is that God has selected the lamb that would be slain for you and I. And so as we get into our narrative, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. But I want to draw out some rich theological truths from an often overlooked character in the story. So if you're taking notes, the title of my message is Love Lessons from a Donkey. And I already know what some of you are thinking. Desi, if I wanted love lessons from a donkey, I would have just stayed home and consulted my spouse. My wife begged me not to tell that joke this morning. Let me tell you, that was the greatest point of deliberation, deliberation of my theological points. Was that right there? But I always have to throw a dad joke in there, okay? But love lessons from a donkey. are let's read our passage this morning. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone's saying to you, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now the first theological truth we can extract from the donkey, as we think about our sermon series, Love Where You Live, is that love is available. See, Jesus told the disciples to go into the village. Immediately you would find the donkey and the colt tied and as I was thinking about what it means to be available, part of what it means to be available is to be where you're supposed to be. See, Zachariah had prophesied where the donkey would be and that there was going to be a be a donkey and it's colt tied and ready for the Messiah to fulfill what he was called to do. And part of God moving in our city and moving in our families and moving in our lives is being available. And part of being available is being where we're supposed to be. He told his disciples, go into the city and immediately you will find the donkeys tied. And so I have this hitching post here, this hitching post to represent us being available, being where we're supposed to be. They were tied, they were there. But see, I think being available has more to do with the condition of the heart than the location of the body. You know what I'm talking about? Like how many of you have ever been alone with your spouse, but they were miles away? How many of you have ever been with somebody and they were present, but they weren't present? Like maybe you've come home and you you sit down at the dinner table, but you can't set your phone down. And see, there's a difference between just being physically available but being spiritually available, being willing to be used by God. You know, I think about Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, and God is saying this. He says, and I hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah responds and says, here am I, send me. And I think God's still saying that today. Who will go for me? Who can I send? And I wonder what our response is. I think for some of us, we're real good on the first half. Like, here I am, real comfortable in my space. Here I am. Real comfortable not getting too deep into the waters. Like I'll show up to church, but I don't want to serve in church. I'll go to life group, but I don't want to open up. I'll be present at the table, but I don't want to let you know what's going on in the inside of me. Don't send me on the mission of being the salt and light to the world because God, I've fallen too short. I'm too broken and I'm too empty. Let me tell you something. I don't stand up here as one who has arrived but one who has been made alive through the work of Christ. And as Brad said earlier, man, whatever's holding you back, that's been a done away with. That was the work of the cross, not the work of yourself, lest any man should boast. There's no boasting here. And so your inadequacy is what God moves through because then he gets the glory. See, but for others of us, I think, Man, the reality is, is that some of us are so busy chasing where we want to be that we're not being obedient where God's called us to be. You know, when I walk into my house, one of the first things we have on the wall is a quote from Mother Teresa. And it says, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Think about that. If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And I'll just tell you that I get all caught up at work. And I just, man, I'm so busy trying to to blaze my own path, to fulfill my own merits and do what I want to do. And all of a sudden, the family gets put on the back burner. Look, we have to provide. There's no qualms there. But I'm wondering, are we available to be used by God in the way that he wants to use us. Ephesians Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says that we are Christ's workmanship. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, here's the reality. God's prepared to work for you. Before you were ever born, before you were ever thought to be brought into existence, God had a plan for your life. God knew what he wanted you to do. There's a a good work that he wants you to walk in. And in order for us to walk in that, we have to learn to be available. We got to get to the point where we say, okay, God, it's not my agenda, it's your agenda. If you tell me to be there, I'll be there. If you want me to show up there, that's where I'm going to show up and I'm going to walk in obedience to where you've called me to be. I'm going to walk in obedience to fulfill those good works which you have prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. And this can take you out of your comfort zone. Man, I'll never forget. I was living in an apartment right after I graduated from... From college, I was working on my master's and uh, I was still living on campus in the apartment housing there and I was walking home from the gym one day and uh, as I was crossing this street, I just remember the Holy Spirit, um, just this feeling, it wasn't an audible voice, just this unctioning um, that just said, I want you to go back across the street and stand on the corner and um, I don't know, but I get real insecure sometimes sometimes. And I'm like, God, that's you know, that's really strange. People are gonna just like look at me, and um, but I I started walking to my apartment. God said, Are you gonna walk in obedience and be available to use by me? Or are you gonna go your own way? Oh, ooh, got me. Okay, um, so I turned around and I walked back across the street, and I'm, I'm standing on the corner, and there's nothing like, I'm just standing there and I'm like, God, this is why people think Christians are weird. Like this moment (laughs) right here. And, um, I don't, what do you want me to do? And he said, just wait. And I don't know if you just had to wait, but 10 seconds felt like 10 hours. And I'm just like, you know, super insecure. What is happening? And all of a sudden, um, our, one of our security vehicles pulls up and there was a guy in there that happened to be on my floor when I was an RA. And I didn't know him that well, but he pulled up and he said, oh, Desi, man, it's so good to see you. And I was like, yeah, oh, you too, man, it's strange, you know, running into you. He said, hey, um, do you have a minute? And I was like, yeah, actually I do. So um, I, he's like, well, you want to jump in the truck? And I said, sure. So I jumped in with him and he said, what are you doing? I was like, uh, just hanging out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and I said, what's going on with you? And, and, and he said, man, he goes, uh, you know, we made some small talk. And then he said, man, uh, I joined the army. I said, oh man, good for you. He said, yeah, I just found out that I'm gonna be deployed to Afghanistan. And I said, man, that's awesome. You know, my brother, he's done a couple tours there and I'm just so proud of you. Thank you for your service. And he says, yeah, I know, I know. But he said, but Desi, I'm scared. I said, man, absolutely. You know, war is a scary thing, and I get it. He said, no, no, no. I'm not scared about dying or something like that. I said, well, what's the matter? He said, I'm scared because I never have surrendered my life to Christ. You know, I see, I go to chapel, and see everybody engaging. And, man, I just never surrendered my life to Christ. I never have. I didn't grow up that way. I just found myself here. I said, I want to tell you something. So I believe that God's wanted me to meet you today. And if you want the security of salvation, I want to walk you through what it means to give your life to Christ. And with tear-filled eyes, he said, that's what I want. And right then and there, I led him in the prayer of salvation and discipled him in what it meant to be a follower of Christ, and he gave his life to Christ right there in that security guard truck. But I was just where I was supposed to be. Isn't it funny how some of the most mundane moments can lead to some of the most pivotal decisions in people's lives? Just being where they're supposed to be. Little did they know that they would carry the Savior because they were tied to a hitching post. But not only is love available, but love is humble. It says this, behold, your king is coming to you humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. You know, what I think interesting is that oftentimes a king would ride into a new city on a war horse. Now, not always, but we knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that was going to come and overthrow, or, or at least in the Jewish mind, they were expecting a king to come and overthrow the Roman Empire, and to set about the freedom of the Jews. And so a king would typically come in on a war horse. And uh, I don't pretend to be an expert in horses, okay? I rode one one time when I was like five. I got thrown off and they scared me to death now, all right? So, but what I've heard is the way you measure horses is by hands, and that you start at the bottom and you go up to the shoulder, and that's how many hands high the horse is. And so generals would usually want to be two to three hands higher than his men to show that he was in charge, that he was higher than them. And then a king would want to be even a couple hands higher than the general. That he, the king wanted to show that he is higher than everybody else, that I'm the one that is in charge here, I'm higher. But not only is Jesus in this passage not on the king's war horse, on the general's war horse, but if we move too quickly, we'll miss the fact that there was a donkey in her colt. It was a young donkey. The reason the mother was probably there was to keep the donkey from being scared. And running off. And so here's Jesus, the king of kings, the lord of lords, comes and gets on a colt. Now I don't know how big the colt was, but there's the possibility that as he is on this colt that his feet may have been dragging the ground. Is this the side of a king? But I don't want to lose the fact that that colt had probably never been ridden. And there was a point that the colt had to be willing to allow someone to saddle it. That it had to surrender its will to his will. And it had to be willing to carry Jesus. So I brought this saddle as an illustration of us saying God, not our will, but your will. Not my direction, but your direction. Because I believe that what humility is, is saying, God, it's no longer about me, it's about obedience to you. God, it's no longer about what I want, but it's about coming under the control of the Holy Spirit. This is what um, Philippians chapter two, verse five through eight says about our savior and it is challenging us to have the same mind he says have this mind among yourselves philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient. Amen, I hear you. Thank you, I got one. Passionate person with me. Let's go. And humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Man, throughout history, kings and rulers have sent their people into battle to die for them. But only once in history do we see a king leave his kingdom to go to the front lines and die for his people. This is the model by which we find Christ living his life. He's saying it's no longer about going your way. It's about a total surrender, being obedient to Christ. Humility is an act of obedience. It's a surrendering of the will. But I think... If we're not careful, we can get confused by the difference in flattery and humility. You ever know those people who always have those humble brags? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I oh, just, you know, just can't believe. He says, God would use little old me, but let me give you my resume now. Oh, stop telling me how great I am, please. I'm not, you know. But see, here's the deal. It works both ways because sometimes we offer up fake flattery. I told Brad one time I said, you know, I've just been here a few years, but man, I just appreciate the fact that you never give up on people. I said cuz I you know, I'm not a pastor on staff. I work at a university, but I've been around long enough where, man, people will just come up and they'll just say things. Man, I'm, I'm here for you. I got you. You can always depend on me. I'm all in until someone offends me. I'm all in until I don't get the position that I want in the church. I'm all in until I don't get to lead where I want to lead. I'm all in until, and so we say things in, in hopes that we can manipulate somebody to do what we want them to do. We flatter them in a motive to get what we want. See, the difference between humility and flattery is flattery. When we're flattering someone else, the motive is selfish. It's we want. But humility is others' focus. It's about serving them. I love what Rick Warren says in The Purpose Driven Life he says this. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not about being insecure. I think some of the most, some of our insecurity is rooted in our deep desire to want to be liked by other people. And so we play a victim. And some of us, it's not that we're doing it on purpose, but we're living in Under the lie of the enemy that says we're not good enough and so we're seeking the approval of people. That's a whole nother sermon. Let's keep going. All right. It is thinking of yourself less. I don't want to miss that part. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking more of others. Humble people are so focused on serving others they don't think of themselves. When Jesus left the throne and he came to the earth and he was willing to come under the authority of the Father, not counting equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself. I'm going to come under the authority of the Father. He did it with you in mind. It wasn't about him. It was about you. And let me tell you something. When you get to the place where you can live in the freedom that it's not about you anymore, man, that's a powerful moment. Man, that's a powerful moment. Whenever you get to the place where you say, you know what, it's not about me, God. It's about how I can go and give the good news to someone else. I love, there's a song on the radio. I love these cheesy KLTY songs. You know, I realize my students don't like them. Neither does my wife. But there's this song that says, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody. And that's all we're trying to do. Because if you've been a beggar looking for bread and you've found the the bread of life, then you just want to give it away. You want to tell everybody, come and feast on this goodness. Don't trip over my mess because I've still messed up. Sanctification's a process, but come and feast over here. Not on me because I'm going to let you down. Ask anybody that knows me for more than five minutes, I'm going to let you down, but let me give you to the bread of life where you can come and get some of the goodness of our Savior. Humility. It isn't about God trying to push you down. It's about Him trying to set you free. So, love is humble, but love is also active, it's not passive. I guess you can figure out where the boots come in. (laughs) Love is about walking it out. I love what James says in James chapter two, verse 15 through 17. It says this, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed. What does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You know, I remember hearing a story uh, about a couple guys that got shipwrecked. And they found themselves in a lifeboat, and they're tattered up. They've been through a storm, and they're on one side of the, the lifeboat. And as they're sitting there, they're reclining back. And on the other side, there are three other guys that have been shipwrecked on, in the same lifeboat. And they are just frantically bailing out water. And there's a, there's a hole in the boat. And the other two guys are sitting back, and they say, man, I am so thankful that hole's not on our side of the boat. But I think sometimes we do that in the church. I've heard people say to me, man, I'm so thankful I'm not a pastor, so I can live however I want. I'm so thankful that it's someone else's responsibility. And sometimes we sit back and we think, well, it's the volunteers. Well, it's their responsibility. It's that person's responsibility. It's not my responsibility. But love doesn't sit passively by. The cult had to carry the Savior from Bethpage to Jerusalem. The cult played its part to fulfill the work on earth. Romans 10 verses 14 through 15 says this. But how can they call on him to save them Unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messenger who brings Good news. We're living in a world that is desperate for some good news. We're living, man, amongst broken people, amongst beggars that are desperate for some bread. And uh, I don't, probably most of you know my story, and um, I'm just going to share real quickly my testimony um, for those that don't know it. But 21 years ago, I was, um, man, I was a guy that didn't know where to find the bread of life, I was a guy that was broken and hurting and I was mad at the world and, 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 and I just was, and it started out that maybe a lot of people thought that I had it all together and, and, and I had some of, the, some of the things that the young 18 uh, year old guy would think that he would, would want and I rebelled against God and I ran after the things of this world and I ran as fast towards hell as I could possibly go because I thought that what hell had to offer me was better than what God had to offer me because everything God had to offer me seemed like judgment And it seemed like nowhere I wanted to be. I didn't want to be part of a church. And I wanted to run after the things of this world. I'm sorry. I'm getting passionate again. But I was broken. And I was hurting. And I was dying on the inside. And every day, church people passed me by. And they thought that I had it all together. And they thought that I was happy with my life. And I remember getting bitter at church people. Because I thought, if you really love Jesus, then why don't you come after me? See, I was one of the nine. I was one of the one that left the ninety-nine, and I wandered off. But I didn't see anybody coming after me, and so that only fueled my fire to point fingers at the body of Christ. And one night, as I was sitting on a back porch, I'd been working for a moving company. This is a point of, of great disgrace for me, and uh, it's really humbling but I, I was dropped out of school I don't know why I'm at of university <laughs> it makes sense I was strung out on drugs and um, I was broken and uh, as I was sitting on this back porch there was a guy by the name of Mingo Mendez and he uh, was a Catholic that went to a, um, a revival and God pierced his heart to be the church and to get out of his comfort zone he was praying in his house one night he lived down the street and he was, he was praying and uh, he felt God told him to walk across the street he felt God tell him to walk out his faith, to take a step so he walks across the street and we me and music's playing, we're doing things we shouldn't do things I'm embarrassed of and uh, he walks up to these three guys, of which I'm one. And he says, hey guys, how you doing? I remember thinking, just fine until you walked up. And I don't really like the way you're walking up. I had a sh- chip on my shoulder. Thought I was something. Defense mechanism up. He steps over the railing of the back porch, starts getting closer, I start getting nervous. My two buddies are acting like they don't even see this dude. And he said, how you doing? I remember I pulled my, my hat down, felt like a ton of bricks landed on my chest. He got a little closer. He said, are you happy with your life? And I'm thinking, hey, are you guys gonna answer? Or is it just me? got all caught up and I couldn't talk and he said I was praying and God told me it was time for you to come home so I've come here tonight to tell you it's time to come home to the Father He loves you and I stood up I said man said I don't want to live this way anymore there was no soft music playing there was no dim lights there was no chorus there was rap music and beer and I said I don't want to live this way anymore and he grabbed me this sinful dirty punk kid and he hugs me he said God God loves you I said I'm hurting and he said God loves you and I said I don't want to live this way anymore and he said that's okay you don't have to you don't have to live this way anymore and he right there he just started praying for me and man we just started praying and I just said I don't want anymore and then my two buddies man James and Richard he, they just said we don't know what's going on but we're not happy with our lives either and whatever he has we wanted too." Right there, man, we got all our junk. We threw it in a trash can. He said, man, why are you getting so emotional? Because 21 years ago, there wasn't a chance that I would have a beautiful wife. There wasn't a chance that I would have three kids that are a part of this ministry that every single night I go home and I just love them imperfectly and I don't have it together and I'm not the best dad in the world. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm like, I told Brad the other day, I said, man, I'm stressed out about where to send my kid to elementary school. <laughs> I gotta wanna screw this thing up. God's done too much in my life. And so all I do is I just keep loving on them." I just keep, man, it just brings me to my knees because I just, I just keep going home and I just keep loving them. And I say, God, if I can just love them how you love me, then maybe somehow I won't screw this thing up. And every time I get the opportunity to bring God's word, I think, God, what if they find out that I'm a phony, that I'm a fake, that I do care what y'all think, even though I don't want to, I want to live for an audience of one, but there's just these thoughts that I care and I want to. So here's what I'm saying. There are people that need Jesus and next weekend, there's a team here that has prayed and has practiced and has uh, planned and has done everything possible to make space for people to come and find Jesus. And I don't know, um, maybe you're not going to go to a back porch and just hug some punk kid, okay? But maybe you can just pass this along. Maybe you bring a friend to church. Maybe not only do you invite the friend, but you say, hey, I'll come pick you up. I'll be there at 9 30. Ah oh, they might say I'm okay, I'm okay. Yeah, no, it's cool, it's cool. Breakfast is on me and I'm buying your lunch, but you need to be in church Sunday. And don't worry, it's not a place where you have to hide your baggage. You should just haul the dude they let up there last week. <laughs> it was a mess. Man, let's let's be available to God. Let's be humble enough to let him have control and then let's take that really big scary step of faith and we might get rejected but man somebody's eternity I think is more important than our pride let's pray God um Would I feel real vulnerable right now, Jesus? And uh, I just ask that despite my faults and failures and the points I missed and the illustrations that didn't go the way I wanted them to go and all these kind of silliness that I made it all about me somehow, God, would you forgive me and would you penetrate the hearts of the hearers? God, would you... Move in such a way that people would go and just be led by you. That they would just go and run after you, God. God, I ask that you would move mightily in our lives and where we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Creekwood Church Podcast. Are you new to Creekwood? If so, we're glad you're here. For more information about our church and how to take your next step, please visit the Connect page on our Creekwood Church app.